was like, yeah, yeah. we'll be banging bars, I believe is the terminology oh, I, used. I hope so, years, you know. He's been on <laughs> the really sidelines cool, for too long. You know? Yeah, the, yeah, it was really neat to, to hear him talk about that. And it was just like, this gentleman is uh, older than I am, but I bet you he's faster. You know, you got to watch out for those guys. You know, so it was really nice to hear about, uh, you know, a relationship with you. And you've mentioned him here uh, before, and we've talked about him before. And I mentioned in a, it's like, I talked to him, like, yeah, man, I remember that bike. He goes, yeah, Wade took this out a couple of times. And I go, yeah, I was at the house when you started it the first time, you know, over in Noe Valley. Yeah. Dropping it down the hill, you know, get, get that sucker yeah, started. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'll like, get me in trouble. He's talking about that one. Uh-oh. That, that was great. Yeah. I got to ride his, ride his bike for a minute. And what bike? It was a Honda 350 and a 250, 350. And a 350 in a champion frame. Yeah. With, with the everything. It's a so proper. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he, he's got the everything. So uh, his dad owned the the Norton shop or whatever in San Francisco forever. Gotcha. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, uh-huh. and so he was a little kid. And anyhow, he was born here, grew up here. He has so much local local knowledge and everything photographs blah 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 his dad was like you know in with everything well uh, probably and, legendary like your dad i mean the motorcycle community is always a tight community so if you're here and especially at the start of it i mean a name's a name you yeah. know and uh you know it's like it's really really cool and uh well, let's let's really hope let's get him on our show i was mentioning it's like you gotta come on our show man so yeah. I, I imagine it'd be great stories and yeah. uh, you know it's like yeah he's so got he's got so soon. much photographs yeah. he, he really knows wow. the history i went off to marin county and did whatever and anyhow he's 10 years ahead of me or so and he knows a little bit of everybody and everything and what actually went down yeah you know so. yeah it's a history book yeah, he's, he's a walking he's awesome. history book. Yeah, just like Mr. Bailey when we saw him. Exactly, you he's know, got that was some great. Really, he's know. got some really yeah. neat toys. But he had some. Yeah. He was he's a uh, uh, Vietnam vet and everything, and had issues and problems. And so anyhow, he hasn't been riding. He went off um, sprint car racing and for a while and stuff. Anyhow, so he, anyhow, between that and having wow. problems, he hasn't been racing. So he's been threatening to come out. And ride again. And so well, I, I hope he makes it to the mile. Well, he was saying we he want is, to bang so the bar. Awesome. And uh, yeah, let's try and get him out here in the next couple of weeks. You know, he was very excitable. You know, was like, yeah. All right. and then yeah, he took a picture and then yeah. ended up being there. But anyhow, that's really really cool. And uh, so the, the the mile is coming up, folks, and it's a great great thing to watch. I mean, uh, Wade, uh, you boys are uh, what what organization? Are you guys, uh, you the vintage? Uh, what do you call that? The they have the the pro miles on Saturday. Pro miles and Saturday. all the press and everything goes to the pro mile and it's great and it's grand and it's it is everything it's it's all stuff and we wouldn't get to play if it wasn't for those guys the next day sunday lodi is the club that's putting on the the amateur mile it's the only amateur mile i know of on the planet and if you have an ama card and motorcycle and can buy your way in you can buy your way in and get to give it a go 
You know, and I've been told in my life, it's like, you're an amateur road racer. And I don't like that word, amateur. You know, when they say amateur doing the mile, if you're doing the mile, you got big fucking balls and you're going fucking fast. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. and it's like, I always I didn't like that word amateur, you know, yeah. but they use it yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, so they called it vintage and, 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 and actually, yeah, you, and you're, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. And there's many places where the... Uh, verbiology or whatever is actually incorrect. Yeah, you know, it's it's not about the talent. It's it's there's talent there, but it's how much. How big is your wallet? Yeah, that how as well. How big is your sponsor's yeah. wallet? And yeah. and and you I just got, got I got run over by a buddy the other day on a thing like that. It's like yeah, uh, no talent's not the problem. My wallet's not big enough. I could ride as good or better than you or any of these guys here, but. You know, I need a bigger wallet. I need a bigger sponsor, as most people do, you know, but... Yeah, um, money always uh, adds to horsepower, which is always nice, because horsepower makes your life just a little bit easier. Yeah, but <laughs> people people who have talent straight up have talent, and you could still be on yeah. You yeah. can be on a lower, yeah. lower level struggling your ass off and have all the talent in the world, and you don't really get anywhere, which is because the problem you, we're all fighting, because you don't get the chance to ride a bike that actually goes fast. Exactly. And, and, and you know, I mean, I, I imagine that's in many levels of life, you know, we're lucky to be able to have the exact machinery, yeah. the right timing. So, and yeah. So, so on like on a mile, so uh, they have these cl- three classes, anything goes, any bike, any year, it's an old, um, open, un- open, unlimited class. Nice. Until I went on an R1. Yeah. And then the kids are crying the because DTR one. they're riding singles and stuff. And it's really, in the old days, it was a twins race. The twins are faster than the singles. And the, mul- yeah, exactly. the multis should be faster than that. Well, there's always someone making a faster motor, and then you have to catch up to them. Yeah. yeah. Joey Dunlop and, and, and uh, you know, all those big guys, they never slowed down for me. They never got on slower bikes. So anyhow, yeah, racers are racers. Racers, racers. But yeah. so similar kind of thing. The guys that that I'm playing with and or chasing at the mile are are basically the fast guys are on singles. They didn't sell twins the last generation. They didn't pump them. Uh, you, and most people don't really build their stuff anymore. Yeah, nowadays you know, they're not framers. They're not this. They're not that. They're it's a motocross car. bike with wheels on it. Um, it's kind of what the 450s are, but so the fast guys at the miles, there's a couple 600 uh, row taxes. I'm not sure what they are, but the, basically the fast guys are on singles. Gotcha. And that's who I'm yeah, picking on. And that's why, that's why it's a, if I was r- running with more four cylinders, we'd probably be going even faster. Well, yeah, it's definitely adding a different element to a sport that used to be a traditional. And you brought in a different. Uh, well, you, you you're the the monkey in the wrench, so to speak. I mean, when you first went out there, uh, first time you went out there, you were on your KLX two uh, for uh, KLX KLX six fifty six fifty. Yeah, and everyone looked as funny. I was and they laughed and they laughed, and then you cleaned all their clocks, and then you know the next time you decided to uh, bring I, a, a little. Yeah, I said I will come back with a big bike, and then and then they came out with a clock any bike any year so which means wrong what you brung i found an r1 to build which is perfect you know when i was uh uh 
getting into racing, I guess you could say. This was the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, there was this uh, Formula USA class out there, and they had it over at Willow Springs. It lasted maybe, uh, I want to say, not three, four years. But uh, back then, they had GSXR 1000s on nitrous. They had TC350s on nitrous. They had rung what you brung. So the major class, which would be the Formula USA, was you bring something big enough. They had whatever you decide to race out there, proper, proper. You know, after that, that went away, and I think that got kiboshed because the, all the factory teams knew that if they could do that, they could be beat. So they didn't allow you to do all that stuff. But it was very interesting for three years. I got old VHS videotapes documenting this, by the way. I got to find them. But it was a very interesting class. I was out there watching and turn to as a young buck, you know, want to be a racer. And these, mother, these guys were fast. <laughs> you know, I was like, holy moly. Shum! And you had all the big names, you know, and they, they had their, their, their um, weaknesses and their strengths, depending on how they made it fast. Willow Springs, as you know, yeah. is a wide open course. But, I mean, you can't, you have to have your turbo or whatever at a certain thing. And it was really cool, dude. And I have pictures, uh, I think it was Robbie Peterson and uh, someone else on the uh, Kenny Roberts 500s. They were training yeah. out there, too. You know, so it was like, it was something, if they're out there in the 500s to train, means all these bikes just like went like stink. I think uh, Rich Oliver was running a TZ250 350 with a nitrous. That's what I, I, I believe. You wow. Can, if you can do that on a two-stroke. Can you? Well, you can do that. Of course you can. I believe. Uh, either that or he was uh, Rich Oliver. He might have been with, he wasn't with Peterson. I don't think he ran with the Robert boys. But uh, yeah, I think I have that. You know, lately boys, uh, girls, uh, listeners, you know, uh, Oh, they got this uh, uh, Facebook thingy, uh, you know, 1980, forever 80s, you know, have you seen with all the motorcycles and stuff? Okay, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone's pulling out their pictures, which is neat, collaboratively. I, I, you know, Facebook can be either here or there, but it's a form of communication uh, for us old folks. But anyway, everyone's pulling out all their 70s or 80s or 90s or whatever, uh, old pamphlets, old magazines, you know, pictures and everything. It's really, really fun, actually see all that old stuff and you can see all the old tracks back in the day and it's it's really yeah. neat actually uh yeah. to see all that it's like here's the 500 two stroke here's all that so it's it's pretty cool yeah and, exactly and, and way to share share all that stuff similar kind of thing so i, I want to say i was born at belmont you are i never saw belmont i was so it was a it was a horse race was, track. I, I, I was there. I think most everything was a horse race track. Yeah, that's with. true, actually. But, <laughs> but, but supposedly Belmont in the 50s was the fastest thing around. Belmont Speedway? Yeah. Wow. And, and, and so there was a discussion, well, oh, you weren't there. And so Bob Camboo, who I just invited here also, that's another old timer. Nice. Anyhow, spoke up and, and told the girls that, no, wah, wah, wah. Wade was actually there. I was at Belmont. <laughs> the little the lady standing over there with the the baby in her arms. I was the baby. Uh, you were the baby. Awesome. So that's why I was at Belmont, <laughs> but I didn't actually see it. But because of Cliff and his postings and stuff on Facebook and stuff, anyhow, I've got to see a couple pictures of people and stuff at Belmont. Neat. So you're sharing history, and then you're able to, like, boy, I, I know that. Okay, yeah, able yeah. to see that. Exactly, totally. So that's kind of where my dad started racing. That's where I came into the picture and what he was doing. And so, <laughs> you know, I woke up at, at, at Hayward Speedway. 
Awesome. When the the, 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 <laughs> the, the saying the saying goes when pigs fly. Well, that was the the 650 Triumph and BSA, whatever the Harley the twins, the big twins when they fly uh-huh. over the jump. Nobody told me they weren't supposed to do that. Oh, TT track. Yeah, nice. T- yeah. They and they had this big old jump, and and everybody just launched off that thing, <laughs> and that's what I woke up when, to. When pigs fly, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, English steel. You know, gravity's in its. They're own, not supposed uh, yeah. to do that, but so if you like, so I just saw this BSA article the other day. Blah blah blah. So their ultimate was Dick Mann and Jim Rice and stuff. Those guys running BSAs around the mile on something that didn't look like a BSA, but it had a BSA motor in it. Yeah. And, and so... That's know, when they did the champion frames and such. And that was just, bef- to, just before yeah. that era and stuff. But the, but they were pushing BSA. Um, Harley kind of ran the show and, oh, and had the rules supposedly is the way I heard it. Yeah. But anyhow, these guys are running BSA. These are, most, most of the kids are running Triumphs. And, you know, it was a total free-for-all, but it was American racing. It was flat tracking. Yeah. It was Indians and uh, Indians and Harleys, I imagine, back in the day. Now, Indians, Indians, Indians went there? back even farther than that, and they dropped out. Indians are actually new old Indians. Oh, they, nowadays. They have, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. The new ones uh, are out, but they haven't been around in Harley. I almost want to say know. the new one is a Rotax Indian, but, uh, yeah, I have to look into that a little bit more, you know. <laughs> it, it totally works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the, you know, uh, boy, you know, uh, yeah, we'll get more dates for you soon, and uh, got to come out and support any racing, you know, we're talking about. AFM's coming back out, you know, uh, in mid-March, and uh, support any type of a dirt bike riding, and especially go out there and see the mile. And then here's here's the neat things that someone was mentioning the other day. I was like, I think they're going to have a nitro circus out there, one of them boys. Oh. You know, if they have that, I'll get to get the hotel room and like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I'll go see the nitro circus, you know, if it ain't the time for the, for the race. You know, those boys are great. You know, yep. yeah. Yep. It's just like they, they'll totally blow you away. Yeah, exactly. So, got to look into that as well. You know, that would be a that's, great weekend in Sacramento. That's, that's like you know. the, the monster trucks and yeah. stuff of uh, motorcycles. Yeah, all, all the badass crazy boys that we saw back in the crusty demon and dirt days and such. You know, yeah. remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Over at Zeitgeist? Oh, boy. Each time a VHS new one came out, we had the bar shut up and you had a little TV and a VHS machine and we'd all watch the crusties. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> it was a great time. It was uh, back when it was a motorcycle bar. Anyway, so we'll be getting back to you shortly. Uh, enjoy listening to some music. And uh, thanks for joining us here at Racer's Alley in the heart of Mutiny, uh, Mutiny Radio and the Mission. Yar, yar. Cheers.
Holy moly. Welcome back to Razor's Alley here. Uh, Mutiny Radio in the heart of the mission. Yar, yar. It's a beautiful evening. And, uh, you know, very nice out uh, considering. And uh, it's been cold lately. And uh, that being said, you know, if you're out there in the cold... uh, Recognize that, and uh, if you have anything to give as far as clothes or stuff, always go somewhere uh, where you can actually donate clothing, any type of canned mm-hmm. foods, anything like that. Because I mean, there's a lot of people out there that really need that type of stuff, and I'm sure there's a lot of canned goods in your uh, area that uh, you just don't like beans. You know, I don't like beans, so if you have beans, get rid of all the yeah. beans in your house, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just what, like an. What did you thing. learn today in school? Sharing. <laughs> exactly. So you know, give out and out to all these folks out there. You know, it's a, it's a really important thing. So uh, that being said, uh, you know, uh, thank you again to uh, Mutiny Radio and uh, we're going to be having a big show here, uh, the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, you know. We're going to have actually, you know, 50 comics, uh, 26 shows and uh, five days. So it's going to be a marathon, a really nice marathon and it's a great area, you know, I mean, you got to understand, I mean, we have a really nice uh, seating area, can fit 20, 30 people if you're lucky. Actually, yeah, exactly. And then we have a stage out there, and all these comedians are going to be coming from all over. And it's really, really nice. I mean, the talent that's going to be coming, I mean, it's a festival, and it's been happening for, you know, quite some time now. And, you know, it's it's a really neat thing, you know? It's like, right? Everybody's going to be laughing. Be laughing room only. Yeah, and it's a a, a really nice place here. And, um, yeah, around here, it's a nice place to walk, and, uh, you know, there's food and such. And uh, it's it's, It's always sunny. Bring a date. It's always sunny in the mission and with comedy club and everything everybody's going to be such in good mood and big jokes right and left yeah exactly so uh, really come on down you know it's going to be between uh, March 1st and March 5th and uh, Media Radio Comedy Festival Pamtastic is awesome you know and also that being said you know on Monday she has her show it's just like if you want to learn to be a comedian I mean you know it's it's kind of weird you know it's like going to create a writing class and uh, they're going to ask you to actually uh, read in front of the class that takes some R and uh, you know as a it's high school kid hard. yeah right and then you, as a high school kid and you end up poetry and stuff alright Alex stand up you know, it's yeah. just like oh, yeah. it wasn't my favorite either busted oh. yeah the girls looking at you they're going wah wah but uh, yeah you know so it takes a lot and uh, you know there's a lot of sports or whatever you know that you can do something and you know the, the gratification or the, the you know other things it takes time to see you know uh, being a comedian Right now, right there said, if you do not do good, uh, empty. See that dead space I just heard? Dead space. Ow. You are. Ow. And that's really, really gutsy to be a comedian out there. And it's like, you know, uh, go out there and do your thing. You know, it's like uh, every night, it just does this battle. And uh, yeah, uh, cheers to all you guys out there. I can see you're very, very brave and awesome, you know, because all you want to do is make us laugh and have a good time. And, you know, that's what really everyone needs to be appreciate. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm like, uh, well, yeah, it's just really great. It's an art form in its own right. You know, and um, yeah, all they want to do is want to make you laugh. So, you know, <laughs> Mutiny Radio, we're always here. And on yeah. Fridays as well, you know, Pam Taxic has her comedy clubhouse. So you can actually watch the comedians who have actually, a lot of them have been in her uh, earlier, uh, you know, learning how to be a comedian. And then you just start racing. So then yeah. you become a comedian, right? <laughs> the world's much happier when it's laughing. Exactly. You know, it's like, that's really awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Right on, right on. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful. It's really fun DJing for you tonight. Thanks for the opportunity. You know, yeah. I like to play some old old metal, new metal, not necessarily quote new metal. Um you know, bring some new stuff by so that you can listen to. Tonight was a little noisy, and that's the way I like to keep it. Oops, what's you know, he doing? It's absolutely a pleasure to, to be here, and I'm glad that I showed you how to run the record player a little bit. So, No, it's really awesome. You know, it's like uh, it's, it's, uh, like Wade, uh, we were just mentioning in our break, it's like um, it's invigorating. You know, it's nice to have some... Uh, well, our own music, you our know, and uh, now that uh, Brian has actually taught me after, uh, shoot, when did we start this? Uh, four or five months ago. So Brian actually showed me how to actually work these machines here, and I'll have some Cheech and Chong or something out here in the future as well. And Brian, you're always welcome. And, yeah, I'll uh, be back for sure. You'll definitely be here tomorrow. really nice, right? you know. I mean, um, yeah, it's like I can chill out with Wade for a sec. I don't have to worry about this in the last, you know, I'm sure you're sick of uh, hearing my cheap trick for the like 30th time here it beats uh, the weezer yeah. cd yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the weezer, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basically we ride bikes and we got all kind of buttons and stuff in front of us and it's like what do you do there yeah so yeah uh, we're learning every time and uh like wade said we need to persevere at one point you know i was getting a little de- uh, dejected and whatever anyhow um yeah, it's good to be plowing along and uh, f- uh, further, further, and we're going to have a great time uh, this year, uh, starting March. You know, we'll all be racing again. We're going to have some great guests. I'm going to start bringing in people at the track. You know, um, we're just getting this ball rolling, and uh, it's great now. We have our own music, and uh, from here on in, uh, really, uh, next month, we're going to start racing again. We're going to go out there and talk to the folks out there and talk to the reps and have some people come in here. You know, we'd like to have guests talk about that. You know, uh, you know, uh, people who do suspension, people who do tires. I mean, out there. I mean, uh, do representatives. A field recording too. You know, yeah. Maybe you know, take a mic like out a, to the track and talk yeah, to somebody so, there. So, that's what Wade is so, mentioned. So, yeah, yeah, similar kind of thing. So, so we were at, at Miller. I was with Rich. We were with the. We built, got this uh, moto guzzi that was built special to go to the Manx. Blah blah blah. We so we just did Phillip Island with it. Anyhow, we were at Miller the other day, the end of the last year. And so he's putting new tires on it. We've got new slicks and stuff, and he's he's um, really working on the tire pressure on for each tire and what it's doing. And so the tire pressure actually goes down to temperature. How? What temperature is your tire running? What temperature does your tire actually want to run at? What are they made for? So that you know, hmm. is it a, a elevation or uh, elevation just affects getting, that too? But no, temperature it's, is the big it's, driver. It's basically just temperature. Interesting. If your tires don't get up to temperature, you want to adjust your tire pressure. To get it there to, quicker. To get it quicker. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Old school. Yeah, exactly. So, so the, you know, so there is a little math to just temperatures alone. But the new, the new tires are really, most all of them are really nice and everything. But you got to have pressure. Um, but then on the other hand, so Christine doesn't like her tire pressure up on her KLR. To go, she commutes to go to back and forth to work on, but she's really short. It's lowered. It's this and that and anything. She likes it. She's got three corners, four corners on the way to work. <laughs> okay. I, li- I like it sluggish with low pressure. 
really hogging that road. And because it, it does funny things, and it's like, and, what does that mean? Is it squared? Yeah. Well, yeah. people prefer certain things for their certain writing. You know, yeah. I've seen, I've seen, you know, working at a shop, I'd say, you see a lot of different tire thingies. You know, it's like uh, a lot of time is like, uh, especially out there, folks. If you're listening uh, in the uh, novice nature, uh, yeah, check your tire pressure, man. You know, half the time they'll come in and it's like, man, there's just something wrong with my front end. And it's like, yeah, it's at 15 pounds. You know, so <laughs> put up your tire pressure. Check them all the time, especially in the cold. You know, that's a pretty big deal. You know, uh, going in the shop, get a lot of things like that. You know, and uh, especially in San Francisco, always, always, always lock your bike. You know, Jesus. Every time and with a disc brake. Yeah, and it. if you can, have a cover. You know, I, I work at a shop, and boy, you know, if it ain't if it ain't bolted down, they'll they'll take it. You know, it's really true. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's terrible. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like we've been there. Uh, no kidding. So yeah. So anyways, uh, let's see here. What are we gonna do next? We're gonna be racing AFM. We're gonna be racing uh, the mile. And then watching there. Daytona. Watching Daytona. That, that's the next big one. Yeah, that's uh, coming up. I remember back in the yeah. old days, we all go to Zeke's. Then, yeah, uh, yeah. We did that last couple of years. It's it's yeah. really neat race. It's mostly six hundred and stuff. Um, <laughs> if you have a twin, you can have a thousand. But they it's they have they have the two big banks. They have an infield and they have a, what they call a bus stop on the back straightaway. But it's super fast, and you still got to you know, it's hard to get a top 10 bike. Well, I mean, in the end, yeah, just like uh, uh, other other races we talk about, you have to have a super bike, and it's built for that that only. And, 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 and you, uh, you need to have the connection, kind of, kind of, sort of, to, to have a bike that could possibly win. Well, Sparky, I believe. Uh, I mean, Sparky seems to be a Sparky has a R6 that uh, Wade and the sponsor built up, and I think that thing was touched, right? It was totally touched, and it was retouched and everything. And everybody at Daytona has the same fucking thing. Yeah, exactly. Except for the fast guys, they run an octave above. Well, that's that's and what you get on obtainium. <laughs> you know, it's like oh, oh. Well, how could you? You know, I forget how we said it, but it's like you'll never get those kind of numbers with. And connection without the connection. Yeah, yeah. You know, but we've been lucky. You know, I remember uh, there's a couple of times you've had actually you had some nice bikes. You know, uh, you know, back yeah. in the day, uh, you gotta, we had you a gotta slick keep bike. pushing forward, uh, keep pushing forward. Otherwise, you don't ever have a chance. You'll just be what, another fan. Yeah, but it's remember having a really nice bike, uh, slick. Yeah, slick that spike. That was a really had, nice bike. I had read the Isle of Man, and um, you know, uh, made some Wade made some connections, uh, and uh, he was able to rent a bike from a builder out there. And uh, what was that? What was that we got? It was a O3 GSXR 600 superbike, hand built superbike. Yeah, wubba. You know, it was it was dynamite. So, but was it that was uh, f- 03 or whatever? Anyhow, ninety four, ten years earlier, I got the same kind of bike, an, an F two from Ron Grant. Yeah, nice. And and I didn't get the top ten bike, dude. This bike is not the bike that you let me ride the other day. 
But you got a but really was, badass bike. It was the fastest bike I ever got to ride. More, no kidding. More than 10 minutes. And the F2 is, uh, you know, that's an exceptional motorcycle, actually. I mean, uh, back then I was FCR and that. I mean, those are the boys. I mean, they didn't have a GSX-R 600. You oh, yeah, know? my I mean, first two years I was on the the, Hur- the Honda Hurricane. Yep. Just, <laughs> just before that. And, 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 and I'm running production stuff. And, 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 and anyhow, they, yep. they went to the F2. And this is the Alaman, folks. Which was the big thing, and you know they progressed on since then. But so yeah, Ron was hand building everything. They touched this, they touched that. I took notes on everything. I went over early. I got to see what they were actually doing. But so we actually built three bikes, and 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 and. But like I told them, it's not the top ten bike. It's not. You let me ride a bike over there. The bike that um, Brian Reed was riding, I got to test ride. How come this and this and this and happened? Supposedly, um, and you know, supposedly the bike blew up. But ride this thing and tell me if it blew up. No, it runs so good, so good. So on that one there, it was like. Try to keep it under 13, because it'll blow up past 14. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, uh, massage bikes. you got to really keep them in the parameters, otherwise you're in a world of shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. Been well, around that block. Need a know. new motor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyhow, you know, it's like a great being here. And, uh, you know, uh, I want to say again, thanks to uh, Milk Crate Brian. And uh, he's been our uh, DJ tonight. And uh, we got one more round, I think. And uh, we'll be heading on out. And uh, like I said, please uh, try and uh, come here for the uh, Meet the Radio Comedy Festival. You know, I got to say, 50 comics, 26 shows in five days between March 1st and 5th. Dude, you got to come by. You know, bring a girl. Or at, and, least, uh, at least listen. Yeah, at least listen. That as well. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah. Thanks for, you know, uh, being here as well. And uh, we're going to have uh, one more music session before we go. Goodbye, right, Brian? Yeah, of course. We'll it's like, just a couple It's more. really, really neat. You know, it's nice to have music, got to say. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, uh, thank you for joining us again over here at uh, Racer's Alley at Meany Radio here in the heart of the mission. I mean, uh, it's always wonderful, you know. Uh, and uh, in the future, you know, you can always call us at 415-550-0511 and uh, should be able to figure out how to answer the phone now, I believe. And, uh, you know, you can always say, hey, uh, wherever you are in the world. I know uh, Wade knows a gazillion people out there would like not uh, would like to talk, uh, right? Wait. From almost any country. Yeah, exactly. So There's you know, TT fans, race fans, everywhere. It would be neat, you know, to have uh, some some of you folks reach out and say, "Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Wade? How you doing, Alex?" So yeah, you can always find it at four one five 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 zero zero five one one and uh, say hey to us at Racers Alley. And uh, you can always, as well, I mean, if you have any questions in any uh, aspects of racing, you can always say hello. Hey, dudes, what you doing? So anyways, uh, we're we're on our time here, Wade. Uh, let's say, uh, Brian, come on and say good night and thank you very much for being here, dude. Right on. Yeah, good night, everybody. Hope I didn't make your ears bleed too much. No, <laughs> awesome. Right on, right on, Wade. Let's yeah. uh, say good night. Thank you at Racer's Alley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good night, y'all. Good night, y'all. Be safe. Right on, Brian. Thank you for being here. Good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Aloha, mutineers. Stolowitz here. People ask me, Dave, why do you spend so much time listening to MutinyRadio.fm? Well, the answer is simple to me. It's the love I find here. We've got so many great programs here. There's something for everybody, surely. Well, maybe not the Hitler crew, but you know everyone else. Let me tell you about some of my favorite shows here at Mutiny you may not have heard about. Labor and Love with Bill Morgan is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Bill is passionate about labor, jazz, and solidarity, and he tells you how it is. No BS. If somebody gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. I always learn a lot from Labor and Love. It's educational and inspirational. The Common Thread Collective is every Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. with legendary octogenarian hate Ashbury activist Diamond Dave. With help from his friends, Dave talks news, wisdom, progressive activism, and spirituality. There's also open mic time for music, poetry, and stories. Comics got to hold off till happy hour, though. Oh, and check out Flat Black Plastic with Scott Walker. Saturdays from noon to 2. The title says it all. Classic vinyl albums with no apologies. Great stuff. You can listen in live to these fine programs on mutinyradio.fm or download the podcast at your convenience on Apple iTunes. What a deal. Authentic, real San Francisco love. That's what keeps our ship afloat. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl! Are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. 
So you saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer ya. I'd bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> For all your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bare exoskeleton Contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com Timstesseract.com Radio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things.
always flat black plastic. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Bamtastic's Deep in the Mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off, for <laughs> it's in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. (laughs) How exciting for you, Mutiny Radio listener. There are six new shows here at MutinyRadio.fm. Monday nights at 10 o'clock, it's time for free phone sex. 415-550-0511. Yes, call in for free phone sex. You will be recorded. It is a podcast, but will that phone sex be free? Absolutely. 10 a.m. Mondays, it's time for everyday conversations on race with everyday people. With Sima Lieberman, everyday people talking about race every week. Different everyday people talking about race. On Tuesdays, 10 o'clock, it's spiritual psychology with Renee McKenna. Meditate. It'll heal ya. Then, at noon, stick around. Sergio Novoa brings you my limited view. Talking about all things from his perspective. Then, on Thursdays, from 8 to 10, it's time for Beyond Your Comprehension with Clem. Exciting new shows here at Mutiny Radio. Also, the IC Podcast. That's the Imprint City Podcast coming soon. Hey, 
welcome to Spiritual Psychology with Renee McKenna. I'm a therapist and healer here in San Francisco. And if you want real change on a soul level, you've come to the right place. So welcome everybody to Spiritual Psychology. My name's Renee McKenna and I'm a therapist in San Francisco and I'm so excited. I have live guests this morning. I've only had dead guests up to this point and it's really, really fun when they're alive. And so I have um, Carl Berger, who's originally from Maine mm-hmm. and um you know, East Coast. East Coast. Totally represent. Yeah. 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 He traded out. Now he's in the other Portland. Yep. On the other coast, which is this coast. This coast, the other, the other one, yeah. And so, how's it been going? You here for the comedy festival? Yeah, I came down on Friday and been here throughout the weekend, uh, doing a lot of shows. Been on a lot of different podcasts. It's been a blast to uh, to meet a bunch of like really kind of weird, unique individual people and uh, funny comedians and. Uh, see their shows, see their style of humor, and then hang out afterwards. It's been nice to just kind of stand around and spin a yarn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you like weird, unique people. We'll get along oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have Gaula Finman's going to come. She's looking for parking, which isn't always easy to do on the mission. Um, and so... Uh, you got to ask me, what is spiritual psychology? Oh, yeah. Please tell me. What is spiritual psychology? There you go. Explain so, a little bit. You know, yesterday, one of the things about... Um, you don't have an accent. See, nobody has it. I don't know. I'm the only person from the East Coast who has a fucking accent. I don't know what that is. It's so weird. But it gets me a lot of interesting conversations with people. So, yesterday, I was in... A, um, I was at the dog park. I'm always at the dog park. Not... Because I hang out at dog parks, but because I have dogs, right? Oh, okay. so, yeah. um, so I was at the dog park, and uh, and I was talking to my dog or whatever. And the lady's like, "Oh, are you from Boston?" And um, so she's from Lincoln, Mass, which is mm-hmm. which is a beautiful place. And and so we start to talk, and somewhere I'm always I'm a big yappy person, so I must have mentioned something about being a therapist. And she said, "Oh, what kind of therapy do you do?" And I said, "Spiritual psychology." And she said, what is that? And I said, well, it's a blend of hypnotherapy and Buddhist philosophy and depth psychology and shamanism. And she said, oh, my God, I Googled spiritual psychology this morning. (laughs) Honest to God. And it's all because of my accent. I will never lose my accent just because it gets me clients. And so, (laughs) right? And she actually booked a session with me yesterday. That's interesting. Yeah, it was so cool. Do you have this happen a lot when when you, like, meet somebody uh, in public and you, you let them know that you're a therapist? Do they ever, like, ask you? to like help them on the spot. Like I know as like a comedian, like somebody who's pursuing comedy, they say, say something funny. Yeah. Or like they either say, say something funny or like they go, Oh yeah. Like I could, I've tried that. Or like, here's a joke. Then it's usually really racist. And you're like, okay, this is awkward. I'll I'll just have my coffee now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wish that people would do that. Oh, really? I love to do on-the-spot therapy. That's what I'm doing here. I mean, we'll yeah, do it yeah, today. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I actually do a lot of on-the-spot. I've done therapy with people in Starbucks. I do therapy. Mm-hmm. I'll do therapy anywhere. Um, so I wish it happened more, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. You know, most people are too afraid. They're too private. They're too close about their suffering and their dysfunction. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I think it's terrible because we should all just take all of our clothes off and be as dysfunctional as we can, and then we can get the help that we need. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to set up a booth like Lucy in Peanuts Therapy Five Cents, like a lemonade stand, but a therapy booth. Do you, Do you remember in in Peanuts when there was <laughs> Lucy set up the therapy of stand? Of course. So when I was a kid, that's who they said I was like. Oh no. It was Lucy, yeah, because I'm bossy and mean. No, I'm not mean. I wouldn't ever pull the football out from under you. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but I have to charge a lot more than five cents in San Francisco. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> unless it's on the street or on the radio. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So part of the reason that uh, I like to do the show and that I wanted to do it um, to do live therapy with people is because... So this work is very experiential. It's not like regular talk therapy where you're just like figuring out and naming things or like, oh, that's what happened to me and now I understand it. Um, There's a place for that, but Mm -hmm. I actually don't find understanding things does any more than make me smarter. It doesn't make me feel better. Right. And so it's actually doing the work. And this work is not just experiential for the person, but it can be very visual. Uh, We use a lot of the active imagination to what I call concretize or make concrete all the kind of non-rational aspects of ourselves, our emotions, our spirit, our energy, our relationships, our experience, that are just ideas. And when we can give them a form with our active imagination, once something has a form, you can work with it. And, um, and there's a lot that can be done. And so as people describe what's happening to them, I find it really, really interesting to be able to listen and we can actually follow each other's process. And because, you know, humans are all pretty much the same, mm-hmm. more or less, once yeah. you get down, sure. um, <laughs> there's a lot to be gathered, I think, from knowing what's possible. I know for myself, when I know what's possible for someone else, then it makes it that much more possible for me. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so tell me about your dysfunction. What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> All comedians that I've ever met come from crazy families and they either were going to become a therapist or a comedian or a criminal. Yeah. And some of them have done all of those things. So tell me about yourself. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm just thinking back. I don't think I've done a whole lot of criminal activities. Oh, that's too bad. Necessarily. Nothing like, I mean, I haven't like killed anybody. Oh, that's good. Killing <laughs> but, is bad. Yeah. That's bad. Generally bad. Crime can uh, be kind of fun though. I mean, Sorry. I, yeah. No, like, I mean, you know, you this and that speed every once in a while okay pirate things off the internet speeding but. is not a crime i'm sorry <laughs> speeding is just fun but um so criminal was out for you not going to yeah. be a criminal okay um my actually my main occupation is woodworker that's that's mainly what i do cabinetry furniture making awesome you look like stuff. a woodworker you have your plaid the, shirt on flannel. Yeah. you're good you're rocking the I flannel the, i actually have my boston hat he has it's his a, boston, hat? boston oh my hat. god he's got his car hat out oh i love it did you do that on purpose did you know no 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 see your chance this is all it's all serendipity yeah it's serendipity. it's actually interesting because i do have a i see a therapist semi-regularly back in portland and uh she's also from boston which is all great therapy yeah. comes from boston yeah. <laughs> it's a thing where it's a, it's a portal well it's yeah but i mean it's uh people are i think a little bit more upfront in boston at least about the oh, feelings they don't <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah about me i guess like i i grew up uh grew up in maine in a town called booth bay a uh, pretty small town my folks split when i was 
probably uh, somewhere between six and eight, mm. um, and lived mostly with my mom. Okay. Um, spent uh, Friday nights with my dad, and that was about that was it until eighteen, or I guess seventeen when I actually I left the house at seventeen. So that's kind of the the abridged backstory. And then what happened? Then I moved to Oregon. I moved to Portland. Um, basically, didn't I didn't know anybody out there, but I moved. I went out there for college and tried to blaze my own trail. Just kind of try to you know start something new. You know, you kind of it's like if you leave, if you go to a new place, you can kind of shake off whatever baggage you had from behind, kind of from your past life, and you can start as a new individual if you like. So I'll just notice you went. As far as humanly possible away from me. I mean, yeah, gone to, <laughs> we'll just notice yeah, that. Yeah. Oh yeah, right? no, that right? was that's a, that not was, a coincidence. No, that probably. was definitely a conscious right. decision. I think I think when my when I was looking around at um, schools to go to, my mom was definitely hoping or wishing that I would stay within like a driving, you know, mileage. Less than three thousand five hundred miles. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was just like, I don't, you know. I was like, I don't want the chance of you dropping it <laughs> unannounced. Not, not, I mean, I love my mother, but, you know, it's like, I think it, it, I, I reached a certain point in my life where I was like, I just want to do my own thing, you know, just be, try, try stuff out on my own. So In therapy, we call that individuation. Sure, yeah. Becoming yeah. an individual. Yeah. I think, you know, and for me, that's, I think, our work here as humans in our life is to be the particular us that we're supposed to be. Not yeah. the us that mom or dad or culture or religion or whatever wants us to be. And a lot of the work is stripping away all those ideas of who we think we should be to really be who we are. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I probably didn't do the... I mean, I went away and I, I did a whole lot of things throughout my middle adolescence, my, my later teenage years, early 20s. But in the end, like I got... I kind of just went back into woodworking and that that's what my father does. He's a carpenter. So kind of went full circle where d- doing basically the same stuff, more or less just in a different uh, coast on a different coast. What kind of woodwork? I, for me, mm-hmm. I do. It's, it's a really niche job that I work in right now. And it's all, um, like retail pop-ups and displays. Oh, cool. It's a, it's a, Wild. I never thought that I would be doing this because it's so weird. But uh, essentially, the company I work for, uh, Streamline Craftsman, we we will set up and build out uh, events for like shoe launches. Right. <laughs> so like, if Nike's got a new product that that's coming out and they have a multi-city kind of product launch, mm-hmm. we'll we'll have crews in like all those different cities and they'll have these plans and they'll have these things fabricated with lights and whistles and all that. And we'll go in and pull it off the truck and build it up overnight. And it'll usually it's like up for a day Mm -hmm. and then we take it all down and recycle it or do the best we can to get rid of it all. And that's, that's the job on the side. I I make my own furniture. I build my own furniture. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Stuff like that. That's the more creative end of it. Awesome. What kind of furniture do you build? I like to stick kind of in, I mean, obviously coming from New England, coming from Maine, I have a lot of like shaker influence, mm. uh, a lot of like that Thomas Mosier uh, background. That's very simple, clean lines for yeah. people that don't know what that is. Totally, like, yeah, yes. They're all ignorant yeah, out here. No. <laughs> Think modern building and yeah. like it may make it into a, a chair and that's like shaker. Yeah, shaker. I don't know what the, it's an incredibly religious 
kind of sect or cult. I don't know if there's any. Actually, shakers. have you ever done any? Sh- so I actually went. There's a shaker village. They were all dead now because they actually didn't they procreate. They don't procreate, yeah. Right, which is not good if you want to continue. Yeah. <laughs> but we went and... Um, and oh, it's a beautiful place, and it had we had a dinner there. Sabbath Day Lake, Maine, is that the one? Or it wasn't in Maine. Different? No, oh, it was okay. in Massachusetts. Anyway, and um, yeah, it was so interesting. All the stuff that they made, everything, and they were so ingenious. I mean, they had like this was in like the the eighteen hundreds. They had this elaborate system where the heating system was set up as also a dryer for the clothes. So they'd like hang all the clothes like in all and it, and it like rotated. It was crazy. I mean, this was you know before electricity. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they had little mice or whatever. Oh my she god! It's There's not her a, baby. It's, don't worry, it's not her baby. It's not There's her baby. a ba- <laughs> you, you just picked up a baby off the street? Yeah, I, I just find them. I find them everywhere. In the wow! And they're sleeping in quiet. Oh my goodness! This is Gaula Finman has just joined us. So nice Hi. to meet you. Hi. Welcome. I know you had a little trouble yeah. finding parking. Yeah. This is a. This is there's a, a. What's her name? Colin. 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 It's a boy. Sure. It's in gray. You don't know? We don't no. know. We have to wait till the diaper comes off and then we find out if it's a boy or a girl. Yeah. Oh my God. Sit, sit in that, sit in that chair. Uh, there's a baby. There's a baby. I, I love babies. I can't have them anymore, which doesn't make me, which doesn't make me sad, but, um, hi everybody. Gaula, yay! Welcome, Gaula. It's me and a baby. You and a baby. <laughs> so we have two comics and a baby. That could be like a that could, yeah, and a therapist. So this is some. Um, it is. Yeah. So therapist. So we were just learning a little bit about Carl, and um, so I happen to know a little bit about you because I listened to one of your podcasts on the way here. But maybe my listeners don't. So why don't you tell us a little bit about? I love. I'm glad I figured out how to say her name. So it's well. such a beautiful name, Gaula. I love that. I thought it was Irish until I listened because it sounds Irish. If you, I don't know if you know a lot of Irish. This people. baby's parents are Irish. Yeah, no, I, I live they in. can't the, pronounce my name. They call they, me G. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had one of the funniest baby showers I ever went to. It was one of my girlfriends, and she's from Ireland, and everybody there was Irish. And you know how you play stupid games at baby showers yeah. and in the baby shower game was spell this irish name that's so funny and you can't it's like yeah. do you know that kiva is spelt c i o b a n that's kiva yeah. right like no one won wow. the game it was ridiculous yeah people call him by his gate like his an irish name it's like david but i always forget how to say it Dawid or something. I don't know. It's different, and I don't want to butcher it. We won't. In Gaelic. So, so whoa, I just banged and made a funny noise. That's a weird noise. Um, so tell us about Gaula. Mm. Um, okay. I usually drink coffee, and I didn't today. Oh. Um, but to go a little deeper, maybe. Um, I moved to San Francisco in September from Detroit, where I was born and raised. Welcome. Um, traveled a little bit. My only experience in Detroit was in the Detroit airport, and they took my knife. (laughs) (laughs) This was before 9-11, before you wouldn't even think about bringing a knife, knife, but it was my, it was an awesome knife. Was it like a collapsible knife? Yeah, it was like a fold-up knife. It was like five inches long. I just for some reason And they took it. I was so bummed. Anyway. Like a full chef's knife. I would love to have, I have a good friend who's totally into knives. Um, Anyway, but. I digress. Go ahead. So just an open-ended gula. 
Um, people are probably like, well, what does that name mean? They get that a lot. So it means redemption. I love that. Yeah. Um, it comes from my parents who are both Jewish and then found a very weird spiritual path. So they named us names that were like really intense with a lot of meaning mm. and uh, left us to deal with them. There you go. <laughs> So what is what's what does that mean for you in your life? Redemption. What is it? Well, I I remember like so it, it comes from like this sort of unan like group redemption of like the world is gonna end and there's gonna be like people riding on the backs of eagles and like fucking going to the holy land. So that's like I had to divorce from that meaning for sure. Wow. So, so really out of revelations. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Like the big redemption. Yeah. Like. There's very specific things. Like the one that was supposed to happen in 2012 that we missed. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, it was still waiting. One of the things that they say in like the prophecies is like the prophecies that like fruits and vegetables will get like so big that like 10 men will have to carry one grape. And I'm like, it's just like GMOs and shit. You know when people, you know when people like try to get like (laughs) science and and religion and be like, see, it's true. Uh, Anyway, I digress. What are we talking about? We're talking about Um, redemption and what it means for you. Yeah. So now it means like personal redemption and like, um, I did a lot of work, like from probably 18 and on to, to, uh, sort of get beyond guilt and shame in myself and others. And like, Mm -hmm being your full truest honest self in the moment even if it means like having bad manners or something you know just like honesty is kind of it awesome yeah oh, we'll, we'll get along good you know she she missed the prompt i just said that like so for me the core of my work and i think our work as humans here on this planet is to be the authentic person that we are and to to divorce ourselves from all of the guilt and shame and the shoulds and all that mm-hmm. and be the unique quirky what was the word you used Quirky. I can't remember. That was, was so Zany. long ago. <laughs> that, was, that was almost five minutes ago. It was. No, I, did you have your coffee? We were talking know, yeah. about furniture. Yeah, because he, um, he's a furniture maker and a carpenter. Yeah. Because he hasn't been totally discovered. Saturday Night Live isn't. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, they're not, they're not knocking on the door. They might be. Like you have you two never worlds know. you could be discovered in, you know, like the furniture world, too. You could blow, you know. Furniture's you gotta, funny, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's it's a funny... Oh, man, I don't know if you guys watched uh, the, the series Parks and Rec, Parks and Recreation. I've seen. So there's, like, the character... Uh, what is his name? Ron... I can't remember his last name at the moment. But he's, like, a woodworker type guy. And I, I loved throughout the whole series he would subtly name drop famous furniture makers <laughs> oh and wow no one, it's like i'd be watching with friends or like watching with a girlfriend be like oh yo he just name dropped thomas like tom hucker or somebody else like sam maloof and, and everybody people are like what i'm like yo that sam maloof's like the greatest rocking chair maker ever and then i'd like <laughs> pause it and like google and show them their work and like dude we don't care like <laughs> there are nobody... so many layers to that show people yeah. <laughs> that's actually like, really cool I was, they did that. Yeah, and I'm like, like he he name drops Tom Hooker in one. He's like this uh, New York kind of, uh, I would say like avant garde furniture maker, who I've met and like chatted with. We're Facebook friends. I'm kind of bragging right now, so you should be. Impressed. You're name dropping. Like yeah. <laughs> two worlds. You're trying to. Yeah. Uh, trying who is it? Tom Zuck- you- Thomas Hooker. Yeah. Thomas, Thomas Hooker. Hooker. Okay. Hooker, yeah. I can I can act impressed. Yeah, you know, please thank Whoa. you. Yeah, that's you know, a, Thomas that's Hucker. What I need. That's awesome. I know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What, what about Ethan Allen? <laughs> <laughs> my my name dropping. Yeah. Ethan Allen. You, uh, I used to work for Ethan Allen. Did you really? Shout out to Ethan. 
shout out to Ethan. Absolutely. Wow, I'll have to think of a name that I can drop. Can I make one up? I'll have to think. (laughs) (laughs) So, Gaula, what do you do when you're not picking up babies off the street and and being funny? So, um, I live with a family, and I'm an au pair. Oh, awesome. So, it's pretty full-time. Roll out of bed. Is this one of your pairs that you owe? This is my <laughs> pair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that one's more of a banana. No. no. Um, and uh, the grandmother's in, so I'd like to say I have two in-laws, so it makes my job like a full-time job more. Because you know, I don't know if anyone has a, a mother-in-law. But Do you have to care for grandma, too? Yeah. I mean, she's very, she's very, like... Like, yesterday she tried to get me to go to, like, a Baby Depot store and spend, like, three hours there. And I, like, don't want to tell her that I just buy everything online for the babies. Anyway, my I'm a wreck. Um, So, basically, yeah, I spend a lot of my time with babies. And it, like, fully takes over my spirit. But it's actually, like, the best job, too. I feel like it's really, really sweet. But I end up spending a lot of time, like, at home. And I'm not usually a homebody. Especially when it's raining outside. So that, is this interesting? It is. How many babies? There's two. I drop off the three-year-old at school. I'm planning her birthday. She's going to be three on Saturday. And then um, then I have a baby all day. And I was with her since her mom, his mom was pregnant. So, wow. Yeah. I have to say, so I had my kids when I was 39 and mm-hmm. 41. I never thought I would do it. I didn't want to subject anyone to being a child. I hated being a child. I did not want to make anyone else do that again. But no, I, I thought it was a terrible thing. But um, I was in graduate school to become a therapist at the time. So I get to do like a whole graduate project about becoming a mother and, um, and solving all of my pre-adolescent problems. So now I'm all healed. But anyway, um, but I have to say... That the experience, you know, I, I like to say that when a baby was born, a mother is born too. And for me, becoming a mother in that period of time between like zero and five yeah. was probably the most zen time I've ever had in my whole life. People complain about, oh, I don't sleep and I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I was really lucky I was able to be a stay-at-home mom. My, my ex-husband had a good enough job. He's an electrician. So oh, yeah. I know about, and I've worked in the trades a in lot myself too, in the union. Yep. Yeah. Local six. And, um, and so I was able to stay at home with the kids mm. and there's nothing more present. Sen- if you can really be with it, if you have an agenda, you're screwed. Oh, you, yeah. if you have an agenda, if there's oh, anything yeah. you want to do, forget it because they're going to have to poop. They're going to puke on themselves. There's no way you're going to get anywhere on any I mean, time. that's the gift. And that's what I tell the parents. Like I never give the kids screen time because I'm like, this is my job, you know? So I have the time to, like, get out the paints and, like, get messy with kids because I'm literally, like, getting paid to not do anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. But the parents both run their own companies. I got the three-year-old out of bed this morning, and she had a cell phone in her hand, and she was watching TV, and it was, like, 7.30 in the morning. So it's, like, a, a screen time and a lollipop if I'm not there. Well, thank God for you. So they, they're very, like, they, they're they grateful. They're like, we're paying you to love our children. But it is weird because they're actually not mine. It's my job. Yeah. So it's very weird. How often do the parents, that, if yeah. I can no, no, no. How do, do they, like, interact with their kids often? Or is it, like... The mom does, and the dad... Oh, this is such gossip. They don't listen to me in your radio. <laughs> they definitely don't. But I, I analyze, because I also, I, I love... I, I told myself I wouldn't analyze them too much because it's my job. But I fucking did. The dad told the mom before he got married that he didn't want to have kids. And so they were going to have kids, but he doesn't have to do anything with them. Wow. And he literally, like, will walk right by them 
you know and it's like the kids don't like reach out for him and they don't want to go to him so he's very not totally 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 not present he'll just like go on vacation for two weeks and nobody notices so sick ugh. so the thing yeah i've thought about this a lot as as what i felt like an unloved child yeah. that um if if children receive love from someone yeah then they're okay yeah. I don't even think it matters who it is. If I, you have one person that you bond with who can who sees who you are and recognizes your yeah. needs and actually loves you, mm-hmm. then your spirit is going to be okay. Yeah. If you don't have that, you fucked. Yeah. She's but like a great school. Then you got to come yeah. see me. If you don't have that. <laughs> no, it's but, fine. And it's yeah, it's I think like these kids have they have really good lives. Like they're fine. They're not like in pain because their parents are busy. Well, I mean, it's a really traditional. This has been happening for yeah. for eons, where wealthy people yeah. have other people raise their kids, yeah. right? Wet nurses in the old days, yeah. and nannies, and you know the maids, and. And I honestly think the stuff I do is like the kids will switch in their brain something, and this is not studied, but they will remember a hug from me as mother. Like it's just a figure of nurturing, and so it will just replace like. It will be their mom, especially like at this age, just having like a warm person that's attending to you. It is kind of grunt work, so it is. It's no, like, I mean yeah. having right, having someone love you and recognize your needs and yeah. be present. And being present, I think that I'm very concerned about what's going to happen for children with mm-hmm. all the screen time and the screen time of the parents not actually engaging with the kids. If I'm I mean, going like this to him and he's looking for me, he starts crying, and like I don't even realize that I'm. I have like a phone. By this, I mean I'm like putting my phone. I'm looking at my phone, and he's trying to make eye contact. And right. He's just five and a half months. We all need eye contact, yeah. especially at this age, yeah. because they're orienting their world through whoever their caregiver is. Yeah. And so that's awesome that you know that, and you're a mindful caregiver, and you yeah. brought him. I hope he screams yeah. at some point. I really do. He's, I miss. He's like the sweetest baby. He's such a gem. I usually get fired from nanny jobs when they turn around three because they start calling me mom and the mom oh. can't handle it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not mo- nanny Pammy, not mommy, nanny Pammy. And I, so I always that. get, that's, I usually get, I when I get fired, it's usually, and it isn't that I'm fired, they're like, we're just going to send them to preschool now. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Right, because we don't want him to bond too much with right. someone, God forbid, right. that he would actually really bond with someone. Yeah, it's, it's a bummer. Oh, yeah, I got yelled at uh, for cuddling the baby too much by the grandmother yesterday. <laughs> she was like, you're spoiling the child. And she had him strapped to the high chair in the kitchen watching, like, some weird cooking show. Whoa. And, like, I've never just, like, put put him in front of the TV. Like, he's too little for TV in my You're brain. spoiling. That's so sad. Yeah, it's so wild. That's so sad. So they, wild. Getting emotional attention is spoiling. Right. I'm like, how about the 30 gifts you just dumped on the other kid and the sugar? Like, it's just, it's just so weird. I grew up so differently. So how did you grow up? I'm the fifth of seven children and my mom had no help. <laughs> so another mess. I don't know if it's, it's not superior for sure, but there was definitely a lot of love, but probably not enough attention, you know? So different in, kinds of attention, like sibling attention and stuff like that. Well, that's another. That's the thing yeah. that happens, though. After you get three kids, it becomes a gang. Yeah. It has its own yeah. rules and its own kind of trickle down. I'm an only child, so I was like desperately lonely until I discovered um, drugs and alcohol, and then I became, <laughs> <laughs> and then I became a party girl, and I've never shut up since. But um, look at this baby! Hi, baby! Oh Maybe my goodness! Are you gonna talk to us? 
Are you going to talk? You can blow the horn. No, that'll freak him out. Um, so cute you are. He's got a little fluffy suit on with it's like ears. The thing about bringing him places is that like babies and parenting and love and cuddles becomes like the source of things. It really does. It's, I don't know. It's kind of like a, like a dog in the room or like a cat or whatever. Everyone's just like... No, they do. Well, especially babies. So they haven't, at this age, he's five months old. Can he sit up by himself? He's, uh, he had a few minutes the other day. Okay. Yeah. yeah he's right at that cusp. So, so at this age, they don't have any filters yet. And so for me, oh my God. Oh my God. He looks like a little white oh polar bear. And he's smiling at her. Oh my God. You are the cutest thing. But yeah. they're, um, I mean, my own belief, you know, this is spiritual psychology, right? So, you know, underlying all things is this life energy that we're all connected with. And little babies and sometimes old people, if they have been, if they allow themselves to become open before they die, yeah. they're like portals into that larger field. And so th- I think that's why people are drawn to babies because they have that pure like <laughs> energy, that life energy that hasn't been when tarnished. When he's happy, yet. it's like his toes are happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? There like, is no yeah. It's Look so at him! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm so cute. Yeah. So and Pam, I forgot you're a you're a caregiver too then yeah I only yeah. see you as the radio lady no I, I I haven't been a caregiver I mean I still do it but now all my kids have kind of timed out except for one who has special needs and she's 12 and I've been with her since oh. she was this age so oh my God. she's like my person so um, I get to hang out with her still and I've seen her grow up which is amazing but mostly like one of my little buddies now she does like it's so creepy because the only time I get to see her is if I have other kids and I'm at Yerba Buena she's a skater now she's an ice skater and so I'll like make all of us look through the window and like watch her skate and every once in a while wave and she's like oh my god my creepy old nanny is there (laughs) but I don't usually get access to them after you know a certain point okay is that sad for you? No, I don't get paid to hang out with them anymore. Therefore, my therefore my usefulness has you're done surpassed. Yeah, I don't hang out with kids unless people give me money. That's like, <laughs> but I'm great. I'm like you when they have the kids. Yeah. If they're paying me the money, that's my fucking job. Any job I do, I'm gonna do the best I can. Yeah, that's exactly how I look that's at it. That's how I'm doing. So give me the kids. I'll play with the kids. I love the kids. Yeah, look at you. You're, that's he's a cute little dude. Yeah, it helps. It helps when they're cute. <laughs> it is. Yeah, ugly Sorry, babies bye. are really a drag. It sucks when they're ugly. It's it, the ugly babies. The ugly babies. <laughs> ugly babies. Ugly babies should die. No. <laughs> Only the cute ones. Only the cute ones can be saved. And he's like so cute. Yeah. So. So, I was talking a little bit to Carl earlier uh, about the idea of the psychology of being funny. Of the psychology of comedy. Oh, totally. So, what do you guys think about that? Like, what makes something funny? I mean, I think I think in the right context or conducted the right way, like really anything could be funny, and, and certainly anything could be funny to anybody. You know, there's a whole a whole world out there. I mean, I, I just started watching. Uh, oh, is it Larry? Oh, oh baby. <laughs> Did he just fart? I don't know. What that <laughs> is. 
<laughs> See, farting is funny. Why is yeah. farting funny? You know, <laughs> we all do it. And why is it funny? I don't know why. But I, yeah, I just started watching this uh, documentary series on Netflix. It's it's done by the creator. He he like created a bunch of. Uh, TV shows, movies. He was a writer, comedic writer for a while, and I can't remember his name, but he goes around the world and interviews folks in like different war-torn regions uh, to talk about comedy and humor. Wow. The first episode, he's like ma- mainly in Iraq uh, and talking about how they maintain humor where they are. But then I know he goes to like Nigeria and interviews like uh, you know former. Like child soldiers. Wow. About how they. How funny is it when he chops someone's head off with a like, machete? Whoa. Well, like they were, so they talk about how when they're living in an absurd, like an absurdist uh, world where like things like that happen and that's regular, that your humor becomes that level of absurdity too. Wow. Right. Where they have to just kind of like laugh at stuff. <laughs> You're gonna laugh at whatever your world is. I mean, look wow. at look at the soldiers in Guantanamo Bay who were piling naked detainees up and that was their joke that was their that they were like that was the joke right because they're in a it's like right putting people in dog cages and chaining them up and stuff is like uh, absurd and I think the the humor just kind of meets the absurdity of the situation what is absurdity that is an interesting question what is absurd? Um, I love to be deep. Yeah. Sorry. Um, what is absurdity? I mean, for me, so I think about comedy, and a lot of things that are funny have to do with pain or mm. suffering. Like a lot of, you know, it's it, there's a measure of truth in it that's painful, and then we laugh about it. Mm. And it shifts out. For me, it's just my, I laugh at myself all the time yeah. because I'm always in pain. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, and but that's a, it's a, it seems like there's a funny line between humor and suffering. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like which way are you going to fall? Are we going to find this funny or are we going to kill ourselves? Right. <laughs> and I think like there's a, the shift of like war torn countries and that reality and then in United States or sort of very developed, very privileged countries where I think our sense of comedy and our structure of comedy comes from. So there we don't have like war-torn countries and limbs to laugh at so what do we do it's like i think for for me it's like uh yeah it's that suffering but i think and again i'm gonna go back to shame it's like what parts of our human experience do we still feel shame for and it's sort of like in the past 10 or 20 years we've like with the help of psychology and with the help of like a lot of good media like it feels like almost everything's been talked about with the human experience. Right. You know, but that's sort of what comedy was for a long time. It's like, I don't know, like it just the, it was like the taboo. Right. And so now it's like, we, I think at this point, if you're trying to create new material, just saying something taboo that happened to you is like not enough anymore. And so I'm right because you can't talk about if your father had sex with you because everybody already had that happen. Right? It's, fucking, it's like no, it's a non, it's a non-entity. Boring. If I hear right. one more incest joke, one more incest joke, I swear I'm like rolling my eyes at incest. Right? So no, boring. it isn't. It's it's so like boring. cliche now. It's yeah. just kind of terrible. Like but the Pope molested a boy. So boring. You know? It's like <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So where do you find your material? How do you come up with material? I'm going to ask you the same question, Carl. Sure. Or either of you can answer if you want to think about it. Where do you find your material? Mm-hmm. There you yeah. go. I moved it lower for Colin. I'm back. Um, I think I find my material from everyday life. I've sat and tried to write jokes, and it, it's not a good 
it's not a good a good nothing good happens like it's my jokes come from when people do something funny usually when people say something that pisses me off that's where my jokes come from oh really it's like i think like it's not anger because i don't i not like i don't get super angry but like the 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 first pangs of anger are where my jokes probably and come then it from. becomes so that it it's feels like look like, at this bitch it's <laughs> <laughs> right so we could go one way and you make it go the other way yeah. oh that's just and even in life with that person with conflict this person will say something to me and i'll just be like like i'll just be like look at this bitch but in like a funny way to them back like that's kind of how i deal with conflict i deal with conflict with humor and then my humor is the conflict too it's like a like in life with seven kids and a mom like i think that's where my comedy really comes from and it's like there's a lot of conflict constantly right and then just needing to be the funniest one in the room to like take the tension away or like somebody says an insult to me and I'm going to diffuse it by like making everyone laugh. You know what I mean? So are you, is, is the comedy a diffuser or is it a confrontation or is it both? Ooh. I mean, it's both. Like I'm Cause look at this bitch is not diffusing. No. Oh, I'm also, <laughs> I also like throw a punch. Like I have my grandmother in me and I can be really sour. Like I'm not like, just because I'm the narrator, narrator of my own story doesn't mean I'm like the nice guy. Like I'm a fucking tool sometimes. And right. so it's like, sometimes I will say something insulting because it's funny. Right. And that's like my social, socially, like I'm socially challenged where like, I just want to say the thing that's so hilarious, even if it's like so cutting, cause it's so true, you know? And I'm kind of like the person in the room, I saw this funny satirical headline the other day that was just like, uh Oh, like person in the friend group decides she needs to tell everybody exactly how it is, you know? And it's like, I'm totally that person that needs to like call everybody out on their bullshit and like, Oh, Oh, pick me. I do yeah, that too. I, I just, <laughs> Like, is it necessary? Like, just let, what is it? Like, what are those expressions? Like, live and let live. Fly or something. I don't know. Like, let, let people, like, people know. Is that, like, I just made up that expression, I think. Like, let oh, the ducks lie? No, let the rats eat. Let the rats <laughs> no, eat. No, like, 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 why do you got to pig at other people's weaknesses? You know, I totally am. I'm fucking. Well, it makes us feel better about us totally, when we do totally. that, right? When we pick and on other That's also, like, where my, where all that, all that part of my brain is, is where this shit comes from. What about you? Where do you get your... Carl, where do you get your... Sure, yeah. We're, we're passing baby. a baby back and forth. Okay. <laughs> baby passing. Uh, I, I mean, similarly, I think... Oh, that's a hard word to say. Similarly? Similarly. Do you yeah. ever try to say that like 10 times? Similarly, similarly. 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 You can't. I, I think can't it's it more than definitely three. harder with like a thick, thicker New England accent. You, oh, no. <laughs> it's my deficit. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, I pull from experiences in everyday life and... A lot of times I... Do you make furniture jokes? No. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought about that. I did actually think for a little... Like, I was like, you know... Because like, I come from like a pretty blue-collar uh, town and like a, a blue-collar life. And so I was like, man, I... Everything... I there is no white-collar in Maine. No, not until the summertime when everybody comes up from New York. And those stuff. people don't count. And they don't bring their collars <laughs> anyway. No. But... Uh, the bushes and all those... Yeah, the, the Martha Stewart's got a place in... Does Bar- she really? Harbor, yeah. Martha... No one even says that name anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. There's another name drop. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're so good. I dated a, a girl up in Bar Harbor who, like... I think she, like, cleaned her house. Whoa. I know, I know. Whoa. <laughs> Big news. Whoa. Yeah, but, you know, I got to say, I was... fascinating. So... <laughs> Anyone's house, I would want to... I was a house cleaner for 12 years, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And I'm going to say, 
cleaning Martha Stewart's house. That is a name drop. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Of all the people to clean for, can you, you imagine know, cleaning like, for her? You want to know like what she gets particular about so badly, right? Like it was also everything. Like, it was I'm going to tell you. Like I want to know about her Tupperware. Jar. Everything. It's an enormous dildo collection yeah. that she needs cleaned bi-weekly. Yeah. A little <laughs> Are you kidding? No. I've that woman never I'm used a dildo in her life. Please. Friends with Snoop Dogg. Yes, they are good friends. <laughs> are they really? Yeah, they have a show together. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so culturally. But this was all. This was like off season because like people. It's so it, the whole wealth uh, like gap in Maine, or at least like the affluent. Oh people my god! There. Yeah, people don't know about Maine. But I didn't. I didn't know like these folks have their homes regularly like cleaned and maintained on a weekly basis throughout the winter when even they're not even there. there. Just to, I mean, I well, it's to support it. the. It's probably to oh, it definitely. Yeah, it's people. crazy. It's. People have a lot of like jobs and can get by through the winter just on cleaning empty houses. I remember like going not to it wasn't to Martha Stewart's home, but it was to another like Mega. mansion <laughs> and like helping clean for no like you're not cleaning for anybody. You're just kind of vacuuming and dusting yeah. and it's spooky. Those were my favorite houses to clean. The clean house, the clean, clean, clean house, houses. and they'll pay you the mo- the people who paid me the most money were the people that already had the house. It was clean, yeah. and you clean the clean house. Yeah, you like dust the dustless thing. And they'll notice. Did you move the wedding picture and dust underneath? Oh. It? oh my God, no! And they'll they'll know. They check. It's crazy, but um, no. So a lot of people don't know because they've never been to Maine. Right. Can't get there from here. Yeah. Right. Can, you can't even probably. Can you do a Maine accent? Oh yeah, yeah. I'd have to. You'd have to think about it. I have it, to huh? go back and I try. I can yeah, do I a got, better one than you. It, it was so traumatizing in high school because it was usually like a Maine accent, like. Come here, you fucking bitch tits. I'll kick your ass. And, like, stuff like <laughs> and then it was followed by just me crying a lot. So, so you, you moved to Portland to so yeah. try to put, block that out. Maybe we'll do a little trauma work Were on you, you in the world. Why would they call you bitch tits? <laughs> My uh, uncle actually called me that once. Yeah, I, when I, I was like a little chubby kid growing up. Uh, it was so funny. I, it, it was a, a, We were actually uh, doing a family vacation in Jersey. And he was like, get up, bitch, tits, for playing mini golf today. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> that oh, my funny. God. That, he thinks it's funny <laughs> now, so that's where he gets his... I mean, I think it, it is funny. Cause it's like, the, ju- yeah, just picture yelling that at like a chubby little 11-year-old. Oh, gives a character. Yeah. <laughs> terrible. But, uh, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, life. I, I, I'm trying to kind of work toward or focus more on, like finding the absurdity in uh like the not not the absurdity in toxic masculinity but like trying to point out how ridiculous that is or how absurd that is like one of my jokes is about getting a prostate exam recently and just like how i try to build it up to be like oh i've I've never i would never like enjoy that or put something in my butt you don't like having something but then i I love it when people put their finger up me the kind of punchline is like should i say that i'm a therapist i don't know if i should tell (laughs) people You lifted the veil, honestly. Google already said honesty is the boss. Yeah. But yeah, it's like being a like red blooded like American meat and potatoes guy. Like clearly, I've put stuff in my butt before. Yeah. 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 And who wouldn't? It's my like I'm producing comedy shows now, and like we call um, our production thing Manly Man Productions. Oh yeah. Because it's just I think that's what's funny right now is like anyone trying hard to protect their masculinity is so funny to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we already know, like, other men are already let loose, you know? Like, we already know, like, you cry or you need to cry, or whatever it is. But it's like, that's the stuff I work on, like, in relationship with men, is like, 
the manly man stuff. The manly man stuff. Yeah. I'm just jumped in. Totally. No. No, jump in. I'm interested. I'm totally interested in that because it's like, man, it's so dumb. (laughs) What's dumb about it? It's, I don't know. It's like a, uh, it's, it's dumb in the same way that like Valentine's Day is dumb, right? It's like a totally constructed. Right holiday it's a totally constructed like reality i mean it's based in you know centuries of of oppression and what have you and and well it really oppresses the men Mm, i mean that's what i see you know i i think about one of my favorite clients he's actually dead now not because he did therapy with me but um and uh total he was a carpenter total manly man um a big strong guy and he was adopted and he had a lot of trauma from being adopted mm. and um mm. you know he was in foster care for the first uh, couple of years of his life and i mean he got adopted by a beautiful family but he had this like lifelong suicidal ideation like he had always wanted to kill himself and he never told anybody cuz he just had lived with it it was what he thought he should live with and i told him like we could fix that and we ultimately did mm. but you know, I remember he would come and um, and he would say, "I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to be a wimpy guy. I'm not." He would like that's he would just it was like a chant for him, like "I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to be a wimpy guy. I'm not." And basically, it was, "I'm not going to have vulnerable feelings. Right. I'm not going to be a like a, my fully feeling human self." And when he was able to actually allow himself to have all of his humanity and make room for that, and know that it didn't, it actually made him stronger. As a person, I mean, it's almost like these con- like these tools were useful. Like, I, I don't like to talk about evolution because I don't understand it. But like, in, let's just say historically, not in, historically, like where men were like physically combative, or even in other places in the world, and it just seems like counterproductive to the struggles that men have right now. Like, they're sort of not just breaking down old habits. Where like maybe not having strong emotions and like being physical f- before talking about something was like productive at some point in history like wars i don't know well i have a whole philosophy about what's happening in the world right now and, and what that comes from which is kind of you know uh, carl jung was a very famous therapist mm-hmm. he was a student of freud and they had a falling out because Freud did too much cocaine, and uh, <laughs> among other things. And um, and <laughs> Carl Jung um, introduced the idea that um, that everybody has masculine and feminine within them, and that the world. I mean, in general, I think we can we live in a world of duality where we have day and night, and we have good and bad, and we have we have taxes and people who don't pay taxes, but we have, (laughs) um, and we have masculine and feminine and those are not gender. They aren't genital specific, right? So that the masculine is like the active intellectual, um, protective force in the world. And the feminine is the receptive, wise, more mysterious earth-based. And, um, and together they make babies like we have right here, right? You have to have both to have babies, but, um, and historically, they were really, really separated. So that the men took on this like masculine role, right. and the women took on this physical role, and there were like social rules to not um, to not overlap each other. I'm not quite sure. I I think we're evolving as a species. Myself. Yeah. And part of evolution really requires a tremendous amount of self responsibility. Yeah. And you know I. Um, 
I personally think it's interesting to look at it from this perspective that a lot of misogyny and a lot of the oppression of women, women have really participated in that by not being willing to take full responsibility for themselves and to own their masculine and to own their own ability to wow. be protective and proactive and intellectual. And the same thing with men. I, th- I think that's the call for us as a culture right now mm, is, is for each of us individually to become more of the opposite. I tend to orient fairly masculinely myself and a lot of my work as a person um, has been to become more feminine because I looked, I absorbed a lot of that misogyny, that women hating that we have, and because I had a sickly mother who was just manipulative, and how she ran the world was to just collapse, and then people would have to like go into the void to help her, and um, so I was like, well, fuck that. I'm, I, Where does that come from? Because I used to do that. It's a feminine. It's it Where is. Does that come from? So it's the shadow side of the feminine. So the the, the positive side of the feminine is to be receptive I, I and surrendered. Oh. Right. <laughs> but the, so the shadow side of the feminine is to feign powerlessness, which is not surrender. Is to really openly accept what's there and to um, to be allow yourself to be changed by what's happening and the the shadow side or the dark side of that is to manipulate that and to, to act like you're open out of powerlessness and it calls other people to come in to save you. Yeah. yeah. I shall lie down on this fainting chaise lounge. Right. Oh, right. Very Which, specific furniture. Yeah. Very specific. Another. Oh, you're good. He's good. He's like the guy in Pox and Rec. We got the thing. We got to get out of I forgot the last name until now. We'll have to look. Did, you should look it up. Well, so... So the idea, um, maybe we'll work a little bit with this. You know, the idea, uh, this is my understanding of relationship too. Um, even homosexual relationship or whatever the orientation of the relationship is, is that we're drawn to partners that have more of the opposite of the places that we're underdeveloped. And, you know, in, in the old world, it would be together we come together we make a whole. But I think really what we're being called to now is to become more like whatever our partner is so that we each become more whole. That's mm-hmm. kind of my Interesting. theory Resonating. Of, um, of life. Yeah. So making fun of the manly man. Yeah. I mean, do you that's do that easy. too? Oh, yeah. It's too easy. Is it too easy? I, I almost think so, yeah. I mean, it like... It's an easy target because everybody hates. It's, it's like if you make fun of like straight white guys, it's like everybody hates them already. Yeah, I love straight, straight white guys. You're a good-looking straight white guy, so oh, it's got to be hard. Stop. Like you're, you're putting it on yourself. Like I really like straight white guys. <laughs> I, do. I do. I like bisexual straight white guys too. Right. <laughs> um. So, who's hard to poke fun at? If white guys, straight white guys, that's too easy. The manly man. I mean, you don't ever. Yeah, I guess the idea is you never want to punch down, right? You never want to make fun of somebody who's kind of in a in a place below you, like whether that be physically speaking, socioeconomically speaking, in any kind of. Terms. So you're kind of limited. Well, I mean, because you're considered top of the food chain. Sure, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. By all means, it's kind of it's it's. Whoa! Funny. So you can't talk about anybody. It's even funny too, because like I remember, I just like hanging out uh, outside between shows, talking about a lot of these other comics are like really either like giving it their all in comedy or work a 
a weight a weight job in LA or something like that, and it's a, a much harder struggle. Where I've got like a full time job that I I get paid fairly well. I do a lot of hard work, but uh, you know I get compensated well, and I've got a college degree. I'm fairly lucky with all of that behind mm-hmm. me. So it's like, damn, you know, I feel a little bit like I got like matching Carhartt hat and shoes. Yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah. a little bit bad for you like get the blue collar privilege. But at the same on. time, I grew up with like a lot of TV dinners and like a, a more or less like a single mom. So, you know, I'm like, fuck it. I can have stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's like, it's interesting. Like with, with this age of like, I've heard a million comedians say like, it's hard to be a white man right now. And Oh, it's not hard at but, all. But we comedy, do want to hear. Maybe. We do want to hear that. I will. I want to hear the stories of struggle. Like, wh- what was your struggle? Because white guys have struggle. White guys kill themselves. White guys shoot up schools. More white, white guys, guys have a bad kill themselves. Exactly. Yeah. By far. And we don't know about it because it's like, or we. I mean, we we're learning like the why, but the why is sort is still interesting. It's still less touched than a lot of other topics to me about like I mean I don't want to say the word vulnerability because that's like all comedy and that word's doesn't it's like stop meaning something to me because we use it so much but like I do really still like to see when like a white guy's on stage and he's like shit I have five more minutes and I don't know what to talk about yet at an open mic I'll always be like talk about your mom <laughs> like my heckle because <laughs> like and then they think oh well I don't have anything to say about my mom and they'll say one thing like one loaded thing tongue in cheek and the whole room laughs because it's like I kind of just want to hear white guys talk about their moms and mm-hmm. they're I don't know it's like they there's still this thing of like I don't want to be personal on stage I want to write a jokey joke mm. I don't know and I'm always like, why do you got to be so jokey-jokey? Like, just do something autobiographical, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. That's my personal curiosity with, like, male comics that are, yeah, that are avoiding that specifically. Are you are you a jokey-joke or are you a personal joke person? I don't know. I think it's a fair mix. I think a lot, I think at least a lot of the material that I've done down here has been more... Uh, autobiographical more like stories directly pertaining to my life yeah I I think for the most part (laughs) it's hard to I guess it's hard to like think back or like kind of take it out of the context of my own life because it's like oh well I wrote it all so it is kind of like on a certain level personal to me Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah it's mostly like stories stuff like that you know I've been experimenting um, I've been experimenting here, actually, with this, because cause there's, this, there's this kind of idea of being a therapist, which is hierarchical, which I really hate, and, um, and how self-revealing is it, like, appropriate to be, and, and, like, even that idea of appropriate, right, like, what is appropriate? Not appropriation, that's a whole other big <laughs> problem, too, right? But um, how appropriate is it to be? And I've kind of made a decision. I'm, I'm, I'm playing around with the idea of just being completely inappropriate because mm-hmm. um, that's actually my nature anyway, and um, it feels more authentic mm-hmm. for me to be authentic and self-revealing. But it's a little scary because it's kind of taboo as a therapist mm. in a way yeah to be to say i like to have somebody stick their finger up my ass yeah. or <laughs> you know um most therapists i guess probably wouldn't say that they probably wouldn't but they all like it sure anyway. well I don't well maybe, maybe they knows? don't all like it you gotta try it anyway <laughs> <but> <laughs> um look at you 
Oh my yeah. God. We just got this baby. He knows. Oh. So normal therapy is like the therapist sits there with a piece of paper and, and doesn't say anything and you talk and then later they tell you stuff, but they never talk about themselves. Is that what you're saying? So, well, that that's a, that is one particular, actually it is a large way that people are trained. People are trained in the whole medical community too. You're trained to not be a person, to keep yeah. your own feelings out of it, to basically not be a human. And I think it is the least healing thing that you can do for another person. Passive listening. Is Passive listening. Yeah. And to Tapping not, of a pen becomes the whole session. Right. To not actually, because the thing I see particularly in, you know, talk about suffering that I see in San Francisco, which is where I live now, which is, you know, this incredibly white privileged place, but there's a tremendous suffering of disconnection and loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, you talk about war-torn countries and I've been, um, I've had the opportunity to be in a third world country for a period of time. And the amount of human connection that people have is really, really incredible. And you know, I don't want to live in a place where I'm fearing for my life, but there's always a compensation. Like I, you know, and I think one of the really sad things about white privilege is that we don't have the right to have suffering and that we aren't supposed to because everybody else has it so much worse. And there's a different kind of suffering that happens in your Volvo when you're on your phone and you haven't actually talked to a person. Um, or you walk by your kids and you don't have a relationship with your kids or you don't actually have not a having, genuine connection. Not having real needs because I feel like connection is formed by needs. And when you don't have a need because everything's getting dropped off and delivered by a certain person you're paying, it's like what are the actual people in your life for? Like how, what are you depending on other people for it? And like like desperation is a form of connection <laughs> that's pretty strong. Need, actually. need, it, that's an excellent point. Need is real. I think it's. I think this is where we're really driving off the cliff yeah. as as a as a species is because this idea that if we have all our needs met, then we'll be happy and we can do fun things or something. But there is that basic. That's really beautiful the way you said that. That needs kind of drive connection, and without the needs, you lose the connection. And without connection, I don't know what there is. Although I, I will say, if I like won the lottery or just had a lot of money dumped on me and like met all those needs, I'd probably be pretty happy. <laughs> like I'd be, I would be totally happy with that, you know, for a minute. Oh, That's what you think. I could, but do, the things, I could do a lot. <laughs> you can do a lot. You can do a lot. I don't know. I never want to win the lottery. Oh, same. I, no I don't way. want it. No, I find like I want to be occupied. You guys with can buy me tickets. Then. <laughs> my little problems are so good. Like they're so like they cause the perfect amount of stress. Like, I feel like they're real, you know? I'm like, my health insurance, I'm going to get it. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to feed the baby or whatever. And it's like, the bigger your life is, it's like, oh, my CEO, I have 20, 20 employees. Like, I see these people. And it's just like, the, the products that they're making are so dispensable. Like, if the economy busts, like, nobody is going to want, both the parents have their own companies. And, like, nobody's going to want what they're selling. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, having, I don't know, I'm not like saying, like, simplicity because some things that are very complica- complicated are, like, really important. But, like, I personally am scared of, like, making my life have too many things in it that don't actually matter. Well, it's a question. So, like, what actually yeah. makes you happy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, I, I picture that. Like, if I, had, if I did win the lottery, I'd just, like, and this is because of who I am and, like, what I was brought up in and what I do now. Like, I would just buy land and, like, build stuff, you know? You just work on stuff. But isn't that what you're doing now? 
I mean, now I'm not working on the stuff I want to work on. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to have like my own full shop. You know, like it's kind of like I'd love to. That's what retirement's that. for. I know, dude. right? <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'll retire. Like my dad's sixty-six. He's there. Both my parents aren't retired yet. I don't know if retirement's in the the burger. Uh, <laughs> I'm never uh, gonna retire. Yeah, in the burger doctrine, but I mean, yeah, I guess I'm doing that now. But it'd be like I could just like you can make stuff. You know, I could build a fucking boat. Whoa. Would that be cool? Like take the time. My stepdad, he built. Uh, he built a boat. I, you know, he did it while he was working at a shipyard. But he built a 24-foot boat in our backyard over the course of eight years, and then he and my mom sailed on it for a little while. Dream. Girl, you want to make? You can make a lot of money building boats. I had, I had a, I had a friend. They had a boat building family. They, they built. Yeah. Sailing boats. It's they starting made. to. It's huge money. They sell those boats for like two hundred thousand dollars. Oh, oh, oh! My God, more. Yeah, yeah but it's starting. Well, to this is get, in uh, Massachusetts, not in San Francisco. It would be five hundred thousand. Yeah, there. it's starting to get out. Well, I don't want to say outsourced, but uh, Turkey is becoming a huge boat building uh, epicenter just because it's ungodly cheap to do boat building over there you know wow. you can throw cheap labor at it and get the job done way quicker way under budget so the place my stepfather was working for um pretty like a pretty well-known wooden like wooden ship builder in maine um they like closed down three of their buildings three of their facilities sold one off and like had to lay off a ton of people because it's like nobody not a lot of people in the world are splurging for like five point eight million dollar wooden sailboats. Well, you don't anymore. need a lot of them. You don't need a lot of them if you no. have that. I mean, so these people they had a family business. They had it was yeah. the father and two brothers, and um, and they built these custom yachts. Yeah, yeah, you know, like thirty, forty foot sailboats, and it take a couple of years. And people want it because they would visit them and everything. You know, the teak and this is going to be this special way. And yeah. they bent all the wood and do all like that. You know, I believe that we don't have a dream without being able to have the power to make it come true. Like, you really want to build boats, dude? Like, you can do that. You don't have to win the lottery. Yeah. No, well, what's well, the bigger was... dream? Comedy? Would you rather do comedy or do you rather? would you rather build furniture? Because furniture seems like an actual talent that could actually make money, whereas comedy is like drink tickets. Right, right, right. Until <laughs> until you get your Netflix special. But even when you get your Netflix special at you this point. You buy one nice outfit and then it's back to drink tickets. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's right. Like, I don't know. I I haven't I haven't figured that out. You've been soul searched that no. far enough yet. But you like both of them. You're oh like, yeah, it's working out fine. Everything's cool. Right now everything's cool. There you go. Until I have a baby. Uh, it's Are you nice gonna to have, have a baby? It. No, I I every morning stand in front of the microwave for like five minutes trying to, <laughs> trying to reduce that chance. Yeah. <laughs> you love that. <laughs> Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> he did. He spit up over that one. Oh my goodness! The microwave my balls. <laughs> <laughs> Cook them little fishies up. Yeah. My mom used to do this thing with us called the attention store, and it was when we were like upset about not getting something we really wanted. And she just, she still does this with me, and my other siblings. And she's just like, well, if you had everything, time and money wasn't an issue. Like, what is it that you really? trying to do and you just talk for like 10 minutes about your fantasy like in the way you were just doing now and it's like this really cool practice and it ends up sometimes building gratitude but also just like oh I could probably do that you know like I wanted to get into comedy and I was just like ah and then it's like oh you can actually it's slower and it's like more at stake and more at risk than like your little dream that you paint but it's interesting to be like well what is it that I really want you know, sometimes it's like, oh, I want a vacation in a hot place. And you're like, well, you could probably do that if you if you save up and, you know, 
call phone a friend or something. I don't know. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. like a the attention store. Sometimes like when you're feeling like I don't know, like stretched and you want more money. <laughs> That's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I sometimes joke about it a lot with my sisters. Like, we'll be bitching about something, and one of us will be like, attention store! And you'll be like, shut up, you know? <laughs> like it, but it is, it is something, because I'm like, what? Like, I don't like being, a, like, a maid. I don't like feeling class consciousness every day. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm in, like, this half-hot-not world all the time. And I'm like, well, I'm, I think I'm happier than the people that are that happy. I lived that as a, so, as a maid. Yeah, um, and so and you know it was really good preparation for me. Um, it was good preparation for me for what I'm doing now, and um, mm. just as far as being able to be happy with what is, with what I have, and and outside, you know, we were talking about the manly man thing. To me, like I call those masks. Mm. Yeah, like they're they're these things that we wear, and class is a thing that we wear, and there's a you know that that kind of protects us. It kind of can tell us who we think we should be, and so we don't have to do the work to actually check it out and see who we really are. We can just pretend to be this little cutter, cookie cutter thing that we put on ourselves, and uh, people want to put it on us too. You know, people like always assume I'm like a gay vegan, and like sometimes I just let it happen. You know, like. I'm not trying for that look or I'm not trying for that vibe. I get that all the time, too. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes it's, like, more useful to just let their assumptions stick. Absolutely. Or, like, people think this is my baby, and I'm like, yep, like, it's a gay baby. Like, whatever. I just don't care where their assumptions are. But, like, it is so powerful because once I assume the lie that's been put on me in, like, a, a short moment, like, it's so impactful. It's so... Like, if I pretend, like, this is my baby, like, it changes than when I say I'm the nanny. Like, who and how I relate to that person so much. Isn't that lie. interesting? Yeah, and it's like this... Sometimes I do it on purpose, you know? Like, I pretend like I'm the mom on purpose. I have stand-up about it. But, like, it because of the way people treat you differently. Mother's Day is so fun. The whole week yeah. of Mother's Day when you're a nanny is the best. Just yeah. take it that yeah. whole week. Just take it. You're taking it. <laughs> be like, people, yes, I am a great mom. You're <laughs> right. I'm the best mom you've ever seen, aren't I? Thank you. Oh, like on the, the bus. The act of mothering. I don't know. So it's just, yeah, like the roles people put on you versus 